And we ain't gonna stop Till people are free Oh, we ain't gonna stop Till people are free Sending out a call to all of those who leave To use your power now to help others see That all of God's children deserve to breathe So we ain't gonna stop till people are free Welcome to the Ferguson Response Network podcast. I am your host, Leslie Mack, and I'm joined, as always, by my awesome co-host, Ricky L. Hines II. What's going on, Ricky? Um, my usual, busy as fuck. I have uh, three audio files that I should be uploading right now, but will be uploaded after the show for uh, AUA, one of which is an audio adaptation of a blog post I'm getting ready to put out. Uh, called end whites or i'm sorry by any means necessary nice nice well we are back after a three-week hiatus as i moved uh halfway across the country recently so ricky was kind enough to let me take a couple weeks off of the frm podcast but i'm so happy to be back and we have some awesome guests we have william j jackson what's going on william oh i'm just i'm just doing black stuff that's right (laughs) Blacker than black. Uh, and we have two people that have not been on the show before. We have Kristen. What's going on, Kristen? Is it Kirsten? Hey, what's going on? Is it Kirsten, though? It's Kirsten. Oh, Kirsten. Ooh, I like it even more. Yes. Sweet. <laughs> Kirsten. And we also have Junior. Junior, how are you? 
I'm good. I'm good. Up in Toronto. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to have all of you um, on the show. And this is your first time joining us. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Just search Ferguson Response. Or you can go to our website, fergusonresponse.org. If you are looking for uh, Black Lives Matter actions in your area, you can go to fergusonresponse.tumblr.com. If you have not been familiar with my illustrious co-host, Ricky, he is a Los Angeles native, U.S. Navy veteran, avid Googler, blogger. He is the founder of the Americans United Again movement. He hosts two other podcasts, the Americans United Again podcast, and also um, he is a co-host of the AUA Hope podcast with the lovely Sherelle. And uh, our other guest, uh, William J. Jackson, is an uppity Negro that does not know his place, everyone. He is too far left for the left and runs his mouth like he don't know white people have guns. Facts. And Kirsten, no, Kirsten, did I say that right? Yes. Kirsten yep. <laughs> is a makeup artist, activist, social media ranter, loves deep dish pizza, Chicago Bears, and pissing off her 80-year-old father. Let's give it up for all that. So you're from Chicago? I am. Born and raised. Chi-town. All right. And Junior Birchall, Master of Education, is a freelance writer, public speaker, curriculum consultant, and literary specialist. He is the founder of the... I don't want to mess up the name of the school. Fiancra. Fiancra. Perfect. Fiancra Home Academy, an African-centered homeschool located in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. A devoted husband. He is also the father of two high-energy, irrepressibly brilliant African boys. Bertal is the author of Freedom's Flames, Slavery in Bermuda, and the true story of Sally Bassett and Dame Lois, the people's advocate. He is currently putting the finishing touches on his latest work, Look for Me in the Whirlwind, a story of Marcus Garvey, my countryman, uh, tentatively scheduled for release December 2015. Awesome. So glad to have all of you here um, for this great discussion. And thank you all for accepting our, our invitation to come join us to chat today. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank for you for having Thank you. Yes. Uh, I'm going to turn the floor over to Ricky as he's going to catch us up on, on what's been going on in uh, Charleston. And, and uh, yeah, just talk about that for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, and hopefully you haven't been living under a rock or maybe you've just been you know, taking some self-care time um, if you haven't heard about the story. But in the city of Charleston, South Carolina, uh, nine people were killed at uh, – why am I drawing a blank? I'm sorry. At Emanuel AME Church. And uh, I, I want to read off the, the names of the victims first because that's – to me is the most important thing is the people whose lives were lost, uh, including one state senator. Uh, you have Cynthia Hurd, who was 54 years old, Susie Jackson, who was 87 years old, Ethel Lance, 70 years old, DePayne Middleton Doctor, 49 years old. I'm sorry, Reverend DePayne Middleton Doctor at 49 years old. The Honorable Reverend Clementa Pickney, 41 years old, and she's, she is a uh, South Carolina state, uh, state senator. You have Tawanza Sanders, 26 years old. Reverend Daniel Simmons, senior, 74 years old. Uh, Reverend Sharonda Singleton, 45 years old. And last but not least, uh, Myra Thompson at 59 years old. Um, this is incredibly sad. I, I really, 
I don't know what to say about this other than our, our prayers go out with to the families and not just the families, but the community and anyone around the country or the world who's hurting because of this, because this brings back, you know, things that we thought we were done with. Hmm. And it's no secret at all that this was um, racially motivated. The 21-year-old white male whose name I refuse to fucking name out of sheer anger and the fact that he doesn't deserve to have his work um, attributed to him at all. Uh, he, he actually walked into the church, uh, kneeled down to pray with them uh, before... Uh, li- raising up and saying, "Oh boy, does anyone else remember?" Because I'm I'm drawing a blank right now as as to exactly what his words were before he started shooting. He spoke about um, having to protect um, their women, I believe, and that we're raping uh, his women, and then yes. he uh, yes. discharged his weapons. Yeah, not a and direct quote, I, but that's basically the um, essence yeah, that, of what he communicated. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I don't even want to. I, I didn't want to dignify this, but I, I, I'm one who believes in um, killing lies before they ever become circulated. The reality is, 75 percent of all people convicted for rape are white men. So this has no bearing in, in fact either. Um, mm-hmm. But that being said, what are everyone's immediate thoughts? I mean, there's there's so much around this with it being so fresh. This happened uh, yesterday. Was it, yeah, yesterday, yesterday July or June 17th, June 17th. And it was approximately six o'clock yep. local time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I, I just I've been feeling really down today. I usually um, I don't know. I just have been thinking about just this the space that churches represent um the the historic nature of the church that this happened in and the um historic significance of its location and founder um hit home for me and then on a more personal level um one of the other uh committee members of the convening is her first cousin um is uh Reverend DePayne Middleton doctor and so it's been a really difficult day for all of us just um, taking her, it, you know, in our arms, and she's actually with the family now. And and she was saying to us that she um, had been in Cleveland um, when the Brillo um, verdict um, was announced, and she was helping the um, Williams family there kind of deal with the press and do all, you know, make statements and all these, you know, because it's a lot that goes on. But you're just a person trying to deal with this, and she suddenly realized that she was in need of that the things that she provided for that family her family was in need of now and it was really um just a sad moment for her to have to have that that recollection and that clarity of this really is it could be any of us in in this position having to deal with um death because of our skin color and um it's just sad to me and then and then the other thing that's just been bothering me is i had to go out um, I actually went to a vigil, but I had to go to a meeting um, in the middle of the day today, and it struck me how unaffected white people have been by this. And I, obviously, hashtag not all white people, but just in a, on a on a general level, 
um, how I, I've noticed how black people, we are feeling this to our core. It really is hurting. Like my heart is hurt. And so much of this country is able to go on as if, eh, it was just another thing that happened. And it's been a little disconcerting for me to know that. So that's my take anyways. That's those are my, as you said, very fresh hits from my heart. Um, William, how about you? Ah, off the off the, off the top of my head, I think this is one of those moments where, like, if I wasn't um, so caught up in uh, working full time and overtime and moving at the same time, and uh, and then just life in general, I, I would be one of the people heavy in media watch right now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of those things, like, because of um, like my background and my upbringing is that um. I'm one of the people that's jaded. Like, I'm what you don't want to happen, you know, because um, from being attacked by skinheads in 1988 at five years old, you know, jumped by white males, shot at by cops and the whatnot at 16 years old, um, white male attempted to murder me with a hammer to the face in front of my niece. Uh, you know, like, uh, so I'm used to it. Like, I wake up in the morning expecting white people to be white. Like, I'm never surprised. Mm-hmm. So while other people do self-care, I think it's good to have, I guess it's not good, but it's useful. It's inadvertently useful to have an emotionally broken person like me that can just sit there and analyze, you know, while, you know, let someone, you know, let folks pray and whatnot, and then let the, let the severely damaged person sit there and and do media watch, because that's what we need to do. We need to do media watch because, like... Like, as like a, um, as if it were to be like a living, breathing thing, the white supremacist power structure is aware of something. And it's aware of the fact that, um, that revisionist history won't work anymore. Mm-hmm. So now it's time to write the history the way it would be preferred as it's happening. Mm-hmm. So that's why we have to do media watch and document it and argue against it and point out where it's, um, bullshit as it's happening. So we have we have to do that, which I saw a lot of today on Twitter. You know, I have been I wouldn't say on a media. I've been on a mainstream media diet of late. I just refuse. So um, most of my news has been coming through people like you and Ricky William, uh, which is fantastic for me because I'm getting actual information. And um, I've seen a lot on uh, Twitter today just about just really hammering home this like, yeah, you're not going to just call him a kid. You're not just going to go to the mental illness trope right away. You're not going to traipse him in front of us in a bulletproof vest and put him on a private plane when you killed Freddie Gray for nothing in the back of a vehicle. That's not going to happen and you're not going to hear us say something about it. Um, Junior, uh, what are your thoughts on on this um, tragedy? I would say... <clears throat> it's it's business as usual, and mm. although I wouldn't uh, claim to be uh, emotionally um, broken as as William would say, I would I would I would push back against that. I would say his vision is extremely clear. Um, I looked at this as part and parcel of of you know Pax Americana, mm. you know the the and essentially you know going on a global um, to. It's very much in keeping with what happened in, let's say, the Belgian Congo mm-hmm. between 1885 and 1908. Over 10 million um, Congolese were, were slaughtered, or you know, during the um, when the German occupation of Southwest Africa, when you know the Herero and Nama peoples were, were um, slaughtered on mass. 
So this is very much in keeping with what white supremacy, what white people do, you know, in the Tasmanian genocide. This is a recurring theme. They have, over the past 500 years, they have always and only behaved in this way um, when they are engaging with African people specifically and non-white peoples in general. This is, this is normal. This is their normal. You know, we can take it back to the, uh, the bombing of um, the 16th Street Baptist Church. You know, this is, again, in keeping with uh, the, the drumbeat of brutality that has been uh, characteristic of white supremacy and, and um, white supremacist practice um, in the so-called New World. So it didn't, it didn't shock, it didn't shock me. Not even, not even a little bit. No, and it's funny because I, I, I hearken back a lot to colonialism because uh, it, it's such the grandfather of supremacy. It's, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, foretold almost. And, and you see in colonialism what is to be visited on us later in, in the way of supremacy. Mm-hmm. So you're so right uh, to call back to that. Uh, Kirsten, how about, how about you? I know we've been talking on, on Facebook uh, since late last yeah. night today. So what's been going on in your world? Um, I mean, obviously, just hearing about this, it really, really hurts my heart. Um, I will, you know, co-sign with what the fellow panelists are saying. But um, it's not shocking. It's not very surprising. Um, you know, I've done this type of work for quite some time now. And I think probably what hurts the most is, is the fact that they were in a vulnerable position. You know, they were very vulnerable. They were very, um, you know, they were together. They were expressing themselves spiritually and he came in and he just slaughtered them, massacred them. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, it gives us another thing that black people can't do. We can't walk. We can't play with toy guns. We can't go to pool parties. We can't sleep in our own bed. It uh, tells us that we can't do hardly anything. Um, and we can't even pray either. So that to me is what hurts the most. You know, I haven't uh, been the most, uh, <laughs> I haven't been the most uh, supportive of uh, the, the biggest supporter of uh, Christianity. However, I do feel that everybody has a right to be in some sort of, um, you know, community, faith-based community where they get to get their spiritual nourishment. And that, to me, I feel like that's something that can be, you know, very just jarring to the spirit that now that black people can't even do that. And that's what hurts the most. So um, I'm very, I'm very taken aback and I'm, I'm just heavily in prayer for the families and um, everyone affected by this, uh, this, this terrorist attack. Because that's what it was. It was domestic terrorism. Yeah, and I, so. I um, for me, I was. I said I, I went to a vigil um, here. It was a little discombobulating, as I said. I moved this week, and so I'm in a community I don't know. And I moved here because um, 
of my work in the Black Lives Matter movement and to move to an area of the country that is in, in need of support and um, organizational structure. So I don't I don't know what they usually do here. I'm usually I'm, I'm in Philly and I know my people and I'd be at, you know, Mother Bethel tonight and I'd be with all the people I know. So I was like, oh, I don't know what am I going to do? And um, uh, the UU congregation here, I'm a Unitarian Universalist. They, they had a vigil. So I went over to um, to share the space with them and, and we had some nice words and um, some silence and some moments of reflection, which was nice and and. Uh, I was glad for the time to to reflect, but as I was reflecting, I, I was I couldn't help but put myself in because we were in a, a place of worship. Put myself in the position of of the nine individuals, and I, you know, it just hurt my heart to know this individual was welcomed into their place of worship. You know, because that's how we are as a people. We're a welcoming people, and was there for an hour before killing them. I don't even know. I always have so much trouble with all of these cases. It's why I stopped watching all the videos. I stopped watching any of that stuff because what haunts me personally is knowing what their last moments were like and that this was this act of hatred that was enacted on them in their last breath. The last thing they saw was this horrible person that hated them so much. Um, and it's the same way I feel whenever, you know, when we have these issues of um, police killings, it's the same thing, you know, to know that that was the last person that they saw. That was that was the last breath that they took was knowing that all of that was coming at them. And it's just so assaulting to my soul to think about. So for me, it's been just really hard reconciling that and knowing those last moments. And, and I... I you know, I know probably, I don't know how old everyone is on the call, but, you know, I, I wasn't around um, during the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, but I know, I, I hear my elders talk about the, that incident, even if they didn't have a direct connection with it and how it how much it hurt them. And that's how I feel. And I, there's been so many instances over the last, you know, I would say year, year and a half that I... You know, people would say, oh, you know, you always say, what would you have done if you were alive during the civil rights movement? And I feel like, hey, you are, because this is what's going on right now. It's like a complete regression, or I should say a more of a bringing to light of what's been going on and continuing to go on. So um, on that note, I will mention that there has been a national call to action uh, put out to all those that are able to uh, hold actions in your local cities and communities this Sunday, um, June 21st at 6 p.m. That can take any form that your community chooses and you can add your um, event to the Ferguson Response um, Tumblr at fergusonresponse.tumblr.com. Again, a national call to action to stand with Charleston. That's the hashtag everyone will be using. Hashtag stand with Charleston. And um, that's again Sunday, uh, the 21st of June at 6 p.m. Um, yeah. I, Ricky, yeah, and, w- yeah, go ahead, Ricky. Well, I, I, can I be honest? I, I don't think this surprised any of us that this happened. It just fucking hurt. Yes. <laughs> this, yeah. it, it, it really felt like a fucking punch to the gut. It was like, what? No, come on. No. 
and the more and more we learn about it, it, it just gets, it's more and more concrete. Yeah. And I think the this more was, and more we're so in tuned with what William was talking about, which is the ways that supremacy seeps into how stories are told, what language is mm-hmm. used, what photos get put out, how people are treated, all of those things. Like we're so in tune with that now because we've been dealing with this in a public way for so many months now that it, it's, it's like every time I see one of these things, I get so angry referred to as a kid a child these phrases that are meant to evoke sympathy for this killer who's a grown man i might have he's not a child or a kid or anything like that so um yeah i mean it's it's definitely been a lot to to take in and um yeah it's just been a lot yeah, and uh, and and by the um and by people that um and this is just sort of slipping into like retro retrospective uh, media watch by folks who know better yep. like the folks that know better are manipulating the ignorant and by and you know i don't use i don't like using that term colloquially i mean by like the definition actual ignorance right and um and like great example this is a person that i think should be studied uh by scientists uh megan kelly knows better Uh. like when she's doing it she knows what she is she's such a bad actor like if you like i play her clips back so many times it's like it really is like a very amateur actor clumsily delivering lines and that's why i'm not surprised that she did do that segment where she was actually trying to explain to bill o'reilly what white privilege is and that it exists bill o'reilly who's from levittown one of those places that was racially redlined and black people weren't allowed to move there when his parents moved there yeah so yeah megan kelly knows better and a lot of them know better yeah, so mm-hmm. it's 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 pretty gross when you see them, and I do think that like she and her work should be studied because it is um like she really represents a very malicious uh, white supremacy and capitalism, and how capitalism breeds that sort of apathy to where somebody who knows that they're doing damage, that they are causing people to be harmed, that people will be murdered in the future because of the message that she puts out. She knows that's happening, but bills exist. I need my check. Yeah, it's yeah. gross. Yeah, yeah, and I, I and let's talk about why she even has the jo- why her job is to even do that. Hmm. It's because that's what people want to hear. That's what they want to feel safe with when they go home and they watch their news. The Negroes are fucking up. They're violent. They're angry. This wasn't about race. He it, it was all about Christianity. Hmm. And there's no fucking way that you even spin that that way. Simply because of the fact that he walked in there and was there for a fucking hour. What did you think he was doing? You didn't think he knew what he was doing in a church? That he spent an entire hour there before killing them? Yeah. He was fucking Christian. Let's be real. And I'm sorry. Even his own friends. Even his own friends described him as like having conservative values. But he said uh, why he was doing it. He had something to say. It wasn't that he did this in in a vacuum or, or in silence. So he already exactly. told us why, and it was very specifically because of race. It's why he chose that place. It's why he chose those people. It's why he left somebody alive. I mean, all of these things. It was a planned, you know, exec- and planned execution. And um, so to me, it's like all, all of that is just bullshit. But I, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know. I didn't even listen to what the president had to say because I'm sure I wasn't going to like it. So I just didn't even listen to it. Yeah. Um, it was just going to be fellow <laughs> Americans. 
So, yeah, <laughs> I literally was like, yep, that's gone with that. Not trying to hear it. And I, I just, I don't even know. I, Junior, you being um, not living in the United States, has have people been talking about it up in Toronto? <laughs> what's what's been the the their take on it? I mean, I know um, your media is a little bit different than ours, so I'm always interested mm-hmm. to hear how you're hearing it through through a separate filter. Well, one of the things that I've um, my wife and I have have long since done. We haven't owned a television in years, so a lot of our media diet is is very carefully selected. Um, so, for example, the I Mix What I Like online radio show, uh, Dr. Gerard Ball and, and folk like that, we would tap into that. But um, from up here, it's, again, a case of, you know, I don't know why people are surprised. This is, again, um, the way the West was won. Mm. And, you know, I, I saw a white man being a white man. This is, you know, they, they, they go around and shooting and, and killing African people. Um, because, you know, Dred Scott is the rule. The Dred Scott rule is the rule of the land. Black people have no rights that a white person is bound to respect. And, you know, the shooter understood that. Understood that. And the um, the white American audience also intuitively grasps that and holds that as the truth that is self-evident. So <clears throat> he doesn't need to be humanized. He's He's already a human being. But his his black victims, um, I wouldn't be surprised if the media watchdogs are going into overdrive, digging up dirt on the elders who um, met their deaths in Emmanuel AME Church. You know, because, you know, the presumption of non-humanity is written into the ethos that made the United States of America and made Canada and made Australia and made all of these places possible, you know? So there isn't going to be a visceral reaction amongst uh, Euro-Americans, for example, because, you know, it wasn't like a bunch of humans were, were, were murdered. They were black people. And that's a difference. So I I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect them to respond um, with any sort of, um, compassionate outpouring of, of, of support for uh, a fellow sufferers because they, they, they don't see themselves and us in the same light. One is a human being. The other one is non-human. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, I absolutely. think that this time around, this time around, it's going to be a little more difficult for them to dig up dirt simply because they don't want to fuck up the whole Christianity thing. Like, you can't paint you can't paint that many Christians in a bad light while they're in a church, a reverend, a state senator. Like that that may look a yeah. little that may look bad, and that may that that may not stop them, but that's definitely going to hinder them because they're going to have to walk that line. That Rupert Murdoch and the team at Fox and yeah, I want to the know what they're going to say about eighty-seven-year-old Susie Jackson. What are they going to yeah. have to say about seventy-year-old Ethel Lance that's going to play somehow somewhere? Yeah. As they were at Bible study. It's, it's, um, you know, I, but I said that about Tamir Rice and somehow, you know, his father doing something was meant he was not worth it. So trust me, they'll yeah. try. Yeah. Well, that's what yeah, they wanted to say. Persecution. But that's why they started talking about the religious persecution, because if you deflect away from the fact that this is really about race, then 
you win. If you feel like you win, all you're trying to do is hold the ball. You can, you that that's. I think that's been their biggest tool thus far, just from what I've seen them, what I've seen um, in red thus far. It's just yeah, you know, this I'm not, is about religious I'm not liberty. Surprised. Yeah, I definitely will not be surprised if they try to find something in regards to the victims, because I know one of them was like 26, I believe. So yep. they'll they'll find anything, you know, whether they didn't pay taxes whether they had a previous past prior to them, you know, being involved in church. So they'll find any way to de- deny humanity amongst, you know, black people. And, and that's what the media is notorious for, you know. It's such a stark difference when they're comparing the information about the shooter versus, you know, how they, they point uh information in regards to the lives that have been taken away. I mean, you know, even just with the wording of how they refer to the shooter, I mean, quiet, very smart, uh, kept to themselves, uh, you know, a genius maybe. I mean, mentally illness, that's always going to be a buzzword uh, when they refer to white people, you know, doing egregious acts of terror against you know, black people or just any marginalized community. And so even if this is going to be a conversation of Christianity, you know, they'll find some way to deny blackness, even in the black church, you know, like yeah, our absolutely. Christianity isn't, isn't the same as their Christianity, you know, cause our Christianity, Oh Lord, you know, uh, Emmanuel AME, you know, was, was basically founded, you know, by uh, Denmark, D.C., so, you know, it was a big old flavor revolt, and oh, Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that Denmark, that Denmark was a troublemaker. Oh, he was a little, he was a little rebel rouser there, you know. So yeah. they'll find ways to deny uh, our humanity at every turn, and I, and I think because of everything that has happened over the course of the past, you know, two weeks going on, you know, obviously things going on in the Dominican Republic, things mm-hmm. going on with the Rachel Dolezal case, and now that you have this, you know, we are being afflicted with anti-blackness everywhere we go around. I mean, whether you listen to mainstream media or not, you know, just knowing that it exists, and I'm, and I'm, those are just the main ones that they're being talked about, but it's just a constant assault on blackness and it's it's very frustrating to say the least yeah and i wanted to to touch on the mental illness issue like as somebody who suffers from mental illness that shit is fucking insulting Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie like me my mental illness does not absolve me of the response of the consequences of my actions first and foremost unless there's overwhelming proof that i sought help and could not get it Secondly, yeah. does yeah, it take yeah. a does it secondly it does it take a level of m- mental dysfunction, I'll say, to walk into a church, hang out with people for an hour and then fucking blow them away. Absolutely. There is a level of mental dysfunction there, but that is not always attributable attributable to mental illness. Some people really are just fucked up. And they were raised that way. That's so true. That is so true. And, you know, they just don't want to, they don't want to acknowledge the fact that this man hates and despises 
blackness and he hates black people. I mean, even in the picture that is floating around, he has a pro-apartheid, you know, flag, white supremacy jacket going on, and they're still trying to change the dialogue and say, oh, well, he was mentally ill. Oh, he was, you know, he was a troubled kid. No, he hates people. And that has to be some level of just awareness that you can just think that someone is just not worthy to exist. And that's why he came in the church, prayed with them and said, I'm sorry, but I have to do this. That was, that was premeditated. You wanted to do this because you hate black people that much and you don't want us here and you don't want us, you know, to exceed and you don't want us to exist at all. That is not mental illness. White supremacy is not an illness. It is an illness to the country, but you know, on, on a micro level, you know, they hate us. They hate us that much. And there is nothing that anyone else can say, but racism is not a mental illness. And we need to take that and change the dialogue and we need to change the pattern of making it something that gives them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Because even even it, that has nothing and no bearing on whether or not he did what he did. Would it should it be considered in a sentencing trial? Yeah, and in this case, he should fucking he should be locked under a fucking jail somewhere. There's nothing that excuses this. There's no level of there's no level of dementia that or, or insanity or anything that excuses such premeditated, cold-hearted terrorism. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna cut off this conversation we could spend the next hour on this as well and I'm sure we will revisit it in the coming weeks um, but I wanted to, to switch gears a little bit and turn our discussion um, which is why I pulled this particular panel together for to discuss um, not so much the Rachel Dalla whatever, whatever herself uh, but more about the kind of fallout and reaction to um, this white woman pretending to be black for however many years she's been doing it and now claiming that she is a black woman. Um, I guess well, let's do a quick round. People can just say their first, their personal thoughts on the story itself and kind of how they've been dealing with it. Um, Junior, why don't we start with you and you can just let us know kind of how it's been playing out in your, in your mind anyways. Um, well, it was funny because about two days before, you know, the stuff hit the fan, uh, this, uh, she hit me up on Facebook talking about she likes my locks. No, she didn't. And, you know, I, 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 I shit you not. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> so, I, you That's know. crazy. <laughs> so I had a mighty giggle at that, I guess, you know, but again, that's, that's, that's typical of many, um, Mandingo chasing Euro women, you know, they, they love, they love. And I'm from the Caribbean, so you know it was it was really a a perfect storm. But um, as far as 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 uh, this this Rachel creature, um, I would say that it's again in keeping with the patterns of consumption and fetishization, you know, of the urbanized liberal pro-black 
black womanness that she was trying to inhabit. Mm. She was trying to consume that identity. And um, almost like in a Silence of the Lambs sort of way, you know, skinning the body, wearing the skin, and becoming, as she said, she really, she, she, she felt like she really went there and, and really em- embodied the experience of the black woman. Now, I lived about, you know, I was in Bermuda for some years before we moved up to Toronto. And I lived about a stone's throw away from, you know, one of many beautiful beaches, literally a stone's throw. Um, so I would go down to the rocks and I would look at the fish and you would see them swimming. And I loved doing that. I spent years doing that. Um, so much so that I felt like, nah, this is, you know, the, the ocean is my second home. Not once, however, did I cross the logic line and think because I loved the fish so much that somehow I was able to become the fish. Just by just by um, being in close proximity, and I think somebody who is able to make such a logic leap in a climate of white supremacy, in a climate of anti-black womanness specifically, um, you know, smacks of the the height of of white supremacist arrogance. Um, she was looking to, um, I think, in many ways, benefit from all the perks of being one of us without dealing with any of the miseries that come with wearing the skin in, in, in the United States of America. Um, so I, I found her, you know, it, it's, again, uns, unsurprising. We've been seeing this consumption of black women since the days of uh, the sister um, Sarchi Bartman, right? yeah. going way back to when, upon her death, I think she, she died at like 26, the Europeans cut her, her, her genitals up. Right. And had them on display, you know. So when I saw her hairstyle, when I see, you know, her her bronzer that she, I think she was wearing and that that picture of her in the fashion shows surrounded by the brothers, I just thought, wow, she is she's continuing in the tradition of her people. Mm. Right. Amazed and obsessed by our bits and our pieces, amazed by the performance of our exotic humanity. And thirsting, hungering for our dismemberment so that she could devour and in some cases replace us. You know, this is, this is typical, this is white people being white folk. You know, mm. they love the hair, the genitals, the dance, the music, the language, all of the things that she said she really went there with, right? As if the, 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 this constellation of stuff when brought together somehow magically transforms, uh, 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 thin-lipped European woman into a sister. I, I don't know where they do that at. But, you know, her, her, um, her failing, I suppose, isn't uh, so much what she did, because what she did is quintessentially, again, a very New World Euro-American habit, consuming or eating the other. But she got caught uh, chewing with her mouth open, mm. you know? Um, so it was poor etiquette. Yeah. Her crime was bad table manners. Mm. You know, but white whiteness as a concept is entirely dependent upon the consumption, violent erasure, reinvention and appropriate rearticulation of blackness. You know, think Elvis or or Pat Boone or Iggy Azalea or I literally could name a ton of these um, culture vultures. Right. Mm. So she ain't doing nothing new. She's keeping it white. Yeah, she definitely is. And that phrase that you used a couple of times as you said that she really went there um, yeah, no. was just a particular, like, it set so many bells off. And she also, in that 
I saw a clip of that same interview that she used that phrase. She mm. said that she felt like she had paid for it. <laughs> yeah. And I thought to myself, wow. There's this, a whole lot there. There's so much there. It's like, it's beyond. Um, I know for me, like, uh, listen, if anybody comes up to me and says a white woman is pretending to be a black woman and, and has convinced, just decided to dress up like a black woman and just be one, it's laughable. Just point blank period. It sounds like a bad Eddie Murphy movie, right? Yeah. So on that level for me, it's like I don't even I don't even like to even address the fact that she did this because it's it's ridiculous. If you say yeah. the actual facts out loud, it's the most ridiculous supposition ever. You cannot just dress up as some race and become them. It doesn't work that way. So it it just wasn't even worth me even my my time to even try and dissect whatever's going on with her because it's such ridiculous bullshit where my problem came in was I was so blindsided by the black men in particular around me anyways that decided that this was their this was their time to make a stand and this was their time to have all the intellectual discussions and nuance and decide this was the moment oh. that they were going to have to have, you know, absolutely no um, sense whatsoever. And I I was really taken back by it on so many levels. I was just shocked. It really, and usually I'm not surprised at all. Usually I'm like, uh, fuck ass people are going to do fuck ass shit. And so I usually don't get surprised. This completely blindsided me. I was not prepared in the least to be arguing with people I thought were actual rational individuals about why this was wrong and why black women have every right to be upset about it. It was so surreal. It was like the twilight zone. I couldn't even believe it was happening in the moment. And then after when I'm thinking back on it, I still was like, whoa, this is the, this is like the, the ultimate case of gaslighting. I am a black woman sitting here trying to convince a black man why it's not right for a white woman to pretend to be black. I don't even know what words I have to say how crazy that scenario is, but it played out for me so many different times. And then, well, it makes but then secondarily for me, what really upset me were I have a bunch of mentees that I speak to on a daily, weekly basis, depending on what's going on. And um, in talking with all of them after this, you know, these are young women. They're between 18 and 22, and they in particular, you know, I was blindsided as a 40 year old. These young women were crippled by black men's response to them in this situation. One of them said to me, I feel like black womanhood is worthless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we find ourselves. um, Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying, you know, really broke my heart to hear her. She says, I'm just coming into my womanhood and it's Mm -hmm. meaningless. It seems meaningless mm-hmm. if somebody can just put on a costume and, and it's okay for that, that that just stands. And mm-hmm. it, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe you gentlemen here can explain to me because I'm having a lot of, I've just been having trouble even coming to a place where I can comprehend it really. Can I just, I, I need this, this, oh my God, this just needs to be done. I'm sorry. I don't get it. I really, I really, um, I, fuck it. Men, we don't know what we did. Black men, <laughs> you're fucking up. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I, I, here's the thing. 
Never does this shit happen with my. Never did this shit happen with Mike Brown. It didn't happen with Tamir Rice. It didn't happen with Jordan Crawford. Crawford. It didn't happen with Von Derrick Myers. None of this shit happened. Like, mm-hmm. All you had to do was say, you know what? This is wrong. This is fucked up. And shut the fuck up. Yep. Do you guys need some support? Hey, how are you? But the problem is, is that, again, our, within masculinity and that this and this goes across racial lines but with regard to masculinity that the the tools of empathy the tools of sympathy the tools of being able to really identify with one another are purposely repressed and they're purposely repressed for this reason it's a divide and conquer method you can't feel for a black woman how can you feel for anyone else Mm mm-hmm you know, you you were likely raised by a black woman, or you likely had a black. I would I would imagine you had a black grandmother at the very least. Mm-hmm. It's you know th- this is. I, I'm fucking, I'm upset. Like I've been warning niggas for months. Like Black Lives Matter hashtag yes nigga all black lives. I don't mm-hmm. understand what's so difficult about this. It's just like everybody wanted to play devil's advocate on a day where it wasn't fucking appropriate. You can have an academic discussion about what if and what if eh, like two, three weeks down the road. We can wait and we can have that shit in a, in a quiet room and really parse that shit out. But right now, people are fucking hurting. Mm-hmm. Wasn't nobody trying to do that shit when, when you were upset and, and, and in tears over a, over a Tamir Rice, over uh, uh, Eric Garner, who everyone, who damn near half the country, I'm sure, watched die. Mm-hmm. No one ever questioned, well, you know what? Why didn't he just put his hands behind his back? You didn't hear that shit from black women. Guess mm-hmm. what you heard black women saying? Black lives matter. Period. End of story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Full stop. And that, and that, to me, is what hurts the most. You know, obviously, doing this type of work um, you are bombarded with all of these contrarians who want to, you know, contrary <laughs> with us on, on all these various issues. And, and the, the gentlemen here have made such amazing points that when this has happened to black men, you didn't hear anything from us. Nope. I know the people surrounding me in the community we have not said one this minute shade at any of those victims. We didn't say anything about Mike Brown. We didn't say anything about Tamir Rice. We didn't say anything about John Crawford, Freddie Gray, uh, Akai Gurley, you know, Eric Garner, on and on and on and on. Black women had been there because these are our husbands, our fathers, our sons, our grandsons. You know, these are people that we have given birth to. So I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, there would be a few, you know, people that would be saying, you know, well, of course, you know, black women want to be mad. We couldn't even have a day to have that, you know, flippant Mm -hmm. conversation. You know, it became a conversation where now our bodies are being policed. You know, Mm -hmm. our aesthetic choices are being policed, you know, their feelings of, and, and let's just call it what it is, 
their feelings of hatred came mm-hmm. out. And some of these people, you know, I can expect this from the hotel. Let's just, let's just be real. You know, that's what they like to do. Because a lot of those dudes, they just have such a strong hatred for women, for black women. You know, mm-hmm. but these were some of these men that, you know, we have marched with. These are men who have written, you know, scholarly work. These are men who have black black girls who are raising black girls and black boys, and they're saying the most vicious things about us. And that, that to me, is what hurts, especially as a black woman. You know, um, I've dealt with a lot of anti-blackness coming from black men, and I was not shocked that that was going to be the discussion. But when you see these men of black men saying, we have no right to say anything, we have no right because we're making aesthetic choices because we're trying to be white. No, boo, we're not trying to be white. I'm going to tell you guys, like, straight up. I was that child that used to walk around here with a towel over my head because mm-hmm. when I was born, I I wanted to be like Diana Ross. My mother used to wear these wigs that were fierce. I just wanted hair. You know, I was MJ bald, okay? Like, mm-hmm. I was so bald, you can sniff my brain. That's how bald I was. And... For me, I didn't get hair until I was like three years old. So me wearing a towel around my head, I just wanted to be fabulous. So to me, making aesthetic choices had nothing to do with me hating my blackness. It was a choice for me as a black woman because that's that's things that we can do. You know, we had that right to do so. We weren't trying to be white. We weren't trying to occupy white spaces or trying to speak for white people. This woman decided to put on a dusty ass wig and some self tanner and decided, hey, I'm black. And not only that, she wanted to be, you know, she wanted to be black, but she occupied spaces on the mm-hmm. deception that she was a black woman. These are spaces mm-hmm. that were probably carved out for people of color, specifically black women. You know, no one cares about her aesthetic choices. It had everything to do with the deception that she felt that she wanted to mimic and mock the very existence of our black womanness. Mm-hmm. And that to me is a problem. And she gained monetary benefit and, you know, privilege and power that could have went to, bl- to black women. And that's why I have a problem because she said she was black at five years old, but she wasn't black when she was still in Howard University. So she's no. going in and out of whiteness when it was convenient for her. And for me, as a black woman, I can't cut off my locks. I can't scrub my skin. You know, I can't go out there and I get pulled over and say, excuse me, officer, I'm white. I don't have that luxury of doing so. But she has the luxury. You know, when times get hard, White people run. They start crying. They start, you know, they start running away. And even all of that, she could take off the wig, she could take off the self-tanner, and she'll be white again. Mm-hmm. But me, I, I don't have that luxury. So when, when black men tell me that I don't have a right to be upset, when I have never not one time told a black man after a black person, a black male, was killed, that, oh, well, you guys need to pull up your pants. Oh, well, you guys are 
out there on the street bugging out. Never not once have any black women have come out. We have come out in support. And all we want is recipro you know, reciprocity, you know? We want we want to be reciprocated, you know, and that's why it's so frustrating for us because black women have started Black Lives Matter. Black women have been killed by the police. Black mm-hmm. women have been, you know, been assaulted, have been raped, have been, you know, going through all of these things and were minimized. And every time I see a black man that caped for Rachel Dolezal, I feel like the only way for you to protect me is I have to be a white woman in mm-hmm. blackface. That is the only way. And that hurts me because you're telling me my blackness isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to add one more point. Like, black men, we can't be, you can't be trying to hide around the fact that, oh, well, you know, everything I said, everything she did was wrong. You know what I mean? But. Yeah. And a but, nigga, shut up. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. The, I, like, I, I try to be as articulate as possible, but the reality is, I'm just a regular nigga from Compton. Mm-hmm. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's all it takes sometimes. Like, no one wants to hear you all the time. You don't need to be heard all the time. You don't need to be seen all the time. That's the whole point. Black lives matter. That means that your life matters as much as a black woman's. And if you were if you were running your fucking mouth about how angry you were when this happened to you know a black man. Like what's his name? Uh, Mindy Kaling's brother. Yo, they that fuck niggas was hot, hot niggas was. Oh, stole, man, he stole. He stole from us. You know that that spot could have went to someone else. Nigga, what did you, really, really, <laughs> really? And what, mm-hmm. what, what makes that us, speaks to? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh well, and what a lot of people didn't even, or a lot of men didn't realize that they were doing. And this is kind of to tie the two subjects together is that they were doing the same shit that white people are doing with respect to what happened in Charleston. Now, yeah. all of the same, all the same symptoms, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the victim blaming, using mental illness, misstating points, deflection, like all this shit, trying to have an academic conversation about uh, you know, a national tragedy. I, and I'm gonna be real. This probably hurt a lot more white people than it would have had, had it been uh, at a 50 Cent concert. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. The fact that, that that they were in church made them perfect victims, and as long as perfect victims exist, white people for some reason love them. I don't. I don't understand it personally. A victim is a victim, but this they. Ah, I just know for me, it felt like with regard to the blackmail response, and I and again, hashtag not all black males. Um, it just for me, it felt like I know that when these situations arise and something happens to a black man or a black boy, that we as black women are, I know every black woman I know, our instinct is to say there is no excuse, mm-hmm. there's nothing that will ever make it okay. And this just showed me that black men, on the other hand, all they're looking for is a reason to make it okay that we are degraded. All they're looking for is a reason to say it's okay that we don't have our feelings, that we shouldn't be 
distracted i'm gonna use those in quotes because that shit pissed me off all fucking week this week talking about oh this is you while you was distracted by this with your mm-hmm. subtle bullshit ass ways of trying to basically say now shut up little girl stop complaining about that trivial ass shit nobody cares about your feelings and your pain let's talk about what i want to talk about and that's really fucked up mm-hmm you know what's so what's so messed up about this whole situation is that, um, you know, after all of this happened, I mean, I literally just was going on a deleting spree on social media because I just found it just so jarring to my system, and that's how I yes. wound up. I mean, someone had shared something and it shared a status, and it was from Junior, and I was like. Who's oh, this black man? I must find him. You know, <laughs> you know, like I did the same shit. And then, Me too. Same shit. And then there was it was nice. As a matter of fact, it was Leslie. Leslie shared junior status, and I was like, "Oh my god, I must find this black man. I must add him as a friend." And then you know, I find him, and then I found Preston, and then I found all of these black men who were literally—they were not. You know, they weren't sidestepping. They weren't like doing soft critique. They were like, "Yo, black man." You fucking up, B. And that to me was something that I needed because I needed to see more black men saying, yo, what you're doing is messed up. And it didn't become a, you know, not all black men, not all black men. It was like, no, black men, y'all fucking up. And that to me is what I need to see. I need to see this coming from black men. And it doesn't matter if, you know, they're not doing this for ego. They're doing this because it's the right thing to do right thing to do and you know and they're calling it out let's be real you just love whiteness and for mm-hmm. some of these men they want they, they they really want a white woman they just don't want to say it and their defense is the reason why white supremacy is deeply ingrained into the black you know black collective and mm-hmm. these black men do not want to admit the fact that they want whiteness. They want to be a part of the table. They want to, you know, they, they want to want to get with these sleeper cell Beckys and they want to sit up here and say, oh, well, she's down. She's been doing all this for the community. But never have one time have they listed all of the things that she's done that black women aren't doing already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah. I think I think it's it's interesting. Um, it I, I when I saw you know the back and forth between the brothers, you know, um, donning their capes as my brother um, Preston would say, and coming to the rescue of of Missy Ann, um, it made me think of you know the Kingdom of North Sudan, mm. you know, and the idea being that um, African people are degraded in general, but beyond. Above and beyond the degradation that we all suffer, black women specifically are the least of the least. In fact, they are terra nullius, you know, the land of no one. So you can you can inscribe whatever you wish on the black woman's body and and say whatever you wish about it, because, you know, it's 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 a thing to be manipulated. And that's that's very much a part of, I I think, what we saw with the um, the response of many brothers to this Rachel creature and the, the vitriol that they um, hurled um, at um, their sisters, what we see is the meeting of, of the white supremacist worldview and the Western patriarchal worldview, mm. you know? 
um, where white supremacy presumes the non-human status of all black people and where the Western patriarchal view says that, you know, of course, all women are there. Um, they're degraded objects created for specifically for the use and pleasure of men. But at the bottom of that pile, in fact, the marker indicating who is a degraded form of humanity and who is non-human, well, you would find um, African women, black women occupying that space, that stratum, all by themselves. And so what I, what I see with, with um, many of the responses is I see brothers standing cheek to jowl with um, the agents and primary ben beneficiaries of white supremacy. Right? And the meeting ground is uh, the, the Western patriarchal worldview. And of course, um, the, the person who is um, not even at the bottom of the barrel, but underneath the barrel itself, is always going to be the black woman. And so you would see that's why the, the arguments are very much parallel. So you have brothers playing white devil's advocate, you know, and it's very interesting to see the echoes, you know, the, the deflections, like you said, um, the, you know, of course, you know, nobody takes black women seriously. And Western patriarchy doesn't have a space for the serious uh, critical engagement with black women. We, you know, they're bitter, angry bitches. You know, that's, that's the theme. And so we would find... You know, or if you want to be a classy brother, um, black woman hating brother, you call them feminists, right? Which is the same. It's 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 the same. It's drawn out of the same um, mm. uh, wellspring, right? Um, so what yeah. we have is is again these echoes. I I kept on hearing these echoes. Nobody's actually among amongst many brothers, at least nobody is actually considering this, this revolutionary idea that black women are human beings. And as such, are not there to be playthings and manipulatives like they're in a preschool class and you find the blocks and you put them together and you put the hair here and the skin here and voila, you have a black woman. You know, it, it's it's I think there's there's a lot that was uh, revealed mm -hmm. um, with this this um, this racial um, fiasco. Um, and it was very telling that a lot of like you said, a lot of academicians came to the rescue of of Rachel in ways that um, were a lot of things, but unsurprising, especially when these academicians were were black men, because at the end of the day, what we what we want, like you said, is to have a seat at master's table. We want to be closer to the image that we are seeking to to emulate. You know, the ultimate the 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 the, the apotheosis of power in in a Western patriarchal white supremacist society is necessarily a white, heterosexual man, you know? So we want to distance ourselves as much as possible from anything approximating the, the, the opposite extreme, and that, that is of necessity, black women. We're trying to get away from you all as much as possible. And because Rachel was doing the whole light-skinned thing, whoo, you know, the perfect storm for the self-hating brother who doesn't want to be outed, quote-unquote, uh, as, as being in full hot pursuit of his uh, his Missy Ann wet dream in the flesh, so he could at least say, "Well, she's light skinned with the curly hair," and you know. So there was a lot that came. It it, it begs for for deeper psychoanalysis, I think, because brother showed the ass and the nutsack with this one. Yeah, mm -hmm. William, it's, what do you think? Yeah, well, he's um, uh, kind of piggybacking off a little bit, and I, I I that cheek to jowl that's going in my little personal notes. That is 
good rhetoric right there um yeah it's yeah it is written into the language you hear it um like i hear a fella saying like i want a yellow bone a mm-hmm, red mm-hmm, bone mm-hmm. yes right and like yes. you're looking at that word uh-huh. bone where it's like yep. it's internal this isn't just uh on, on top like like yeah. no she has whiteness inside she good woman mm-hmm. and uh like with this rachel business um for the most part i've been snarky I've been snarky. I've been jokey. I mean, even when I first uh, saw the story, I was like, oh, this, especially because being a person from Washington State, we typically don't get any press beyond Sir Mix a lot. So it's like, I don't, I don't expect like press to, like, even when um, they found out the DC snipers were a couple of black dudes from Tacoma, like, we just, we lost press. So I was like, oh, some, weird white lady from spokane really that's not even western washington that's the rural like that's that's not gonna get any uh traction but then it did get traction and when it did i saw those reactions mm-hmm. and i immediately like at first i was clowning her and then i saw my fellow black males and i was like oh well, i have to clown you too mm-hmm. and uh and even i'm um, like hitting up uh like I, I tag ricky in a little joke i made where it's like you know like you ever think someone's making a making a racist joke and then someone says nah it's cool my my black friend says it's cool and their black friend was rachel like i've just figured like i've been i've been joking about it a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh and just sort of snapping on it and cracking on it but there is a seriousness to it um yeah I, i'm um i tend to be noted and quoted for um having a very nerded a nerdy sort of elephant like memory but there's a period in 1988 that is very blurry, and it's I think it's because of a repressed memory because I witnessed my biological sister getting raped, my black biological sister, uh, in, in, in somewhere towards the end of the summer, early um, uh, fall, uh, autumn in 1988. You know, like this, I witnessed this uh, black girl's experience. Um you know, one of my uh, first uh, really serious girlfriends in high school, you know, she told me of when um, she'd get car horns honking at her at the age of 11 is when um, the world began sexualizing her. Um, in 2000, uh, <clears throat> no, excuse me, early 2013, my biological niece is uh, kidnapped by some classmates from school and they coerce her to get high and uh, they rape her and cut her hair off. And she liked wearing her natural afro. She really liked her natural afro. And she wore that to school happily. And uh, and they cut it off. These white Hispanic kids, you know, they, yeah, they speak Spanish. They're white. Look at them. They're white. All right. They're, these white Hispanic kids cut her hair off. And then um, she wouldn't catch that school bus anymore because she was afraid of them, logically, and we wouldn't allow her to catch that school bus. And we all went to work too early in the morning to take her to school. So when she's walking to school in the morning, and there's crossing guards and whatnot and police, and um, I guess police aren't that safe, but she, you know, she's walking to school and those white Hispanic kids are yelling out that school bus window, bald nigger bitch at her, like these black girls' experiences... And um and this Rachel individual, uh, while suing people as a white woman, wants to put this on as a costume and tell people that she's down and she knows what it's like. No, the fuck you don't. And what I'm about to say here um, only represents me. Doesn't represent Ricky, Black Pack, um, Leslie Loco, none of these folks. It's just me. 
I'll punch Rachel in the motherfucking face. I'll beat the shit out that nigga. I don't like that shit. I don't get down. I'll fuck that nigga up all the way to the motherfucking floor. All right. Uh, that's what I think about that. Mm. Why do you think? I, I think Junior touched on this a little bit, but what? Here's where I, I am with it. I these individuals that I've had these conversations with, not the random troll ass hotap lotion challenged douchebags, but the people that I know. Okay. I don't see a point where I can even like talk to them anymore because it's so obvious to me that they don't value me as a person at all just because I'm a black woman. And I don't know where, where can we go from there? And I'm at a loss. I don't know. I don't know where to go from there because you know, I'm one of these people that has a line and when you cross the line, like, fuck you, I don't want to hear about it, but this is something different because I don't even think there's, there's, I I just don't know. I don't know where we go. I don't know where we go. I think it's, it's really, it's not up to our victims to um, convince us of their humanity Mm. because, you know, we are the ones who are, are compromised, right? There's a, there's a line in, um, Jamaica Kincaid's uh, a small place, and she she uses the phrase human trash. I think when we cleave uncritically to these intersections of unjustly acquired power, um, white supremacy and uh, uh, Western patriarchy, I think it's um, it robs us of our humanity and turns us into something lesser than right. Um, and I think it's really a, a place and a space and provides an opportunity for black men to, to extend some healing to other black men. So, for example, um, there are many, many, many black women who can um, deconstruct all of this far more eloquently than I, far more eloquently than I. Right. Um, but the brothers won't listen to them. When I say it, um, suddenly their ears are bent to my words. And I'm well aware of that. I'm extremely aware of that. And in fact, um, there, there are brothers who are always reaching out to me for, you know, I would put something up on, on Facebook, for example, and they would engage me in the inbox because they don't, you know, they may not, they, they realize that some of what they're saying is ass backward, but they want me to help them to unpack it. And they're, 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 they've been stopped, if you will, because Normally, what they hear coming out of a black woman's mouth is coming out of a, 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 a black man's mouth, a certain physical presentation of black manhood as well. So I think it's really up to those of us who are black men who, who see this as, as, a, as a life or death issue. And it very much is a life or death issue. Um, mm-hmm. we, have to, we have to exploit whatever unearned privilege we have to humanize our brothers who have chosen um, misogynoir over relationship, who've chosen predation over relationship. These are the things, th- this is the work that we have to do. Um, and I think it's, it's really, it's, it's in our hands because sisters are f- fighting on too many fronts. They fight for our lives. They fight against us for their own lives. They fight against the larger, wider, whiter society for their lives. I, 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 the mind splits open imagining what it's like to have to walk through the world as like your, your, your cousin, William, you were speaking about the little girl, you know, she's a nigger bitch. That's what I, I, I don't, I don't know what that's about. I only have one of those in my pocket. Right. But imagine having two or in the case of our black trans sisters, having three, 
Mm -hmm. Right. So I really think it's it's we have to ask the question, who is not in the room? Who is not in the room? And we need to make sure that they are represented, that we can create safe space, space where risks can, can be taken and where we can problematize and render visible areas of contention that make the lives of some in who have been pushed to the margins um, very much um, endangered. You know, so I think, again, it's 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 up to um, privileged men to very much take the lead and and to really ground with our brothers, because, you know, I, I don't think it's it's the responsibility of of our victims to 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 wet nurse us into some sort of emotional and psychological wholeness. That's that's our shit to do. We know that plays well. We know that plays well because we were born into the hatred of black women. You know, we came to a critical consciousness and that's a good thing, but we know well the taste, the hue and the heft of that hatred. We know it well. We know it as well as we know the skin on our palms, right? So we have to use that intimate knowledge of the hatred, the language of the hate to speak back, to speak truth to, 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 to power to our brothers and hopefully, you know, to wrest them from that human trash space that they are occupying and, and becoming far too comfortable with inhabiting, as, as was demonstrated um, with this whole um, Rachel affair. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Kirsten. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to bounce off of, 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 of Junior's point, you know, that, it has to take black men to speak up to black mm-hmm. to other black men about black women. You know, just like how mm-hmm. black people or, you know, I mean, I am a cisgender, you know, straight <laughs> black woman. And for me, uh, when I say black lives matter, it means all black lives matter. You mm-hmm. know, queer, trans, black men, black women. So we can now continuously have this dialogue of black lives matter if it's only going to apply to only cisgender straight black men. Mm-hmm. And that's where we all have to come together. And, and those who have a certain privilege, you know, like if, if, if we're going to talk about, you know, uh, the queer black people who are killed on a daily basis, mm-hmm. it's up to mm-hmm. us straight people to call it out. And we have to talk about, you know, the homophobia and the transphobia in our communities. And we have to talk to those people who are not queer, who are not trans, you know? So it's important that if we are going to do this type of work, you know, it's up to the people of that privileged status to do so. And and the work that I do doing anti-racism with white people, I tell them all the time, you have to go to other white people and you have to explain to them why this is wrong because White people aren't going to see black people or other people of color see the humanity and why certain things are wrong. It has to take white people to do it. So if, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're straight, you have to talk to other straight people about gay issues. If you're mm-hmm. cisgender, you have to talk to other cisgender people about trans issues. If you're a black man and you're seeing black men, you know, dominating, co-opting spaces, and making the dialogue about them, it has to come from other black men. Because unfortunately, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, the only way that black men are going to listen to me is for other black men to demand 
you know, demand other black men to make them listen to not just me, but just all black women in general. And mm. unpacking and really just realizing that, unfortunately, you may be called a nigger and you might have to deal with systemic racism on a day-to-day basis. But at the same time, so do women, so do black women. And you have to realize that you have a privilege that black women do not have. And they have to take it, you know, it has to take it to the next step. And they have to realize that not only they have privilege, but they're exerting their privilege over black women by determining what we should or shouldn't care about, what we mm-hmm. should and shouldn't talk about, what we should and shouldn't rage about, what we should and shouldn't have to march or rally or fight for. This is a time for them to be called out to the carpet and say, listen, you don't have that right to take that away from black women and their right to rage because they're, we're well within our right to talk about it. And we can talk about it until the cops come, you know, until the cops come knocking or, you know, being the dead horse, if you will. But that's our right because you're erasing our, our, our visuals here. You're erasing spaces for black women to exist. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. telling me not to rage is a slap in my face because if I told you, well, guess what? Fuck Mike Brown. I bet mm-hmm. you I would be I would be Fifty Shades of Asshole right now. And yep. that to me is grossly unfair. I don't tell black what black men how they should and shouldn't feel. I don't need that coming from black men and white people to tell me that I need to, to calm down. Because you don't know my struggle. Absolutely. And that's real. I mean, yeah. one, one, of, one of the echoes I, I've seen, and then I've, I've spoken to this about this with quite a few folk, is that um, black women, and this is, this is where we're split, black women still see black men as human beings. Black men cleaving to uh, patriarchy and white supremacy don't see the humanity in black women. And I think that's where, you know, so you, uh, as a black woman, you look at uh, the brothers as human beings, as fellow sufferers, as, as, you know, the folk who are walking along with you and trying to uh, evade capture on this battlefield and all of those things. That's, that's you seeing us as human. We see, to, to quote um, an old hip-hop song, is, you know, black, I'll put black at the beginning because when, you know, bitches is a race term all the time, black bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks. I think that's the line from... Um, that uh, hip hop song from back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't see you as a human being. We don't. We, we, we simply don't. And that can be borne out by the fact that um, the consistency of our hostility towards you, be it on the street corner, when you walk past and we give you the auction blocks there. All right. We look you up and down and gauge your, your, your worth and price. Right. To, to, all sorts of, of, of hostilities that are flung in, in, in the direction of any number of black women online, you know, that's, that's us. And the only way that can come from us with such metronomic um, regularity is because we are practiced in seeing you and loving you the way white men see you and the way white supremacy sees you and loves you. So something's wrong with our eyes. Something's wrong with our vision. And I think, 
you know, because our optics have been near irredeemably compromised, it's up to it's 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 really in the hands of and they can't see or hear black women very well anymore because the hearing's messed up too. white supremacy and patriarchy can do that. Um, it's really up to up to um, up to black men to stand in that breach and really do that hard, heavy lifting work of hearing some ass backward things coming out of brothers mouths like I I. I the stuff that comes to my inbox with the conversations, whew, it's heavy. It's heavy, even in, oh, you know, in person oh. on the street corners, because they're like, you know, you're from the Caribbean, you know, you look a certain way. I, I know you're into certain things. How the hell are you talking like this? You know, but they give me that time. And even though some of the comments do make my skin crawl. And even though some of these brothers are very much card-carrying predators without re- realizing they are card-carrying predators, um, it's still the place where I am needed. Why? Because you, as sisters, you already know this script. So I have to go to mm-hmm. the places that are terrifying for, for black women because unlike you all, I am still seen as a human being amongst black men. You mm-hmm. are not. You as a black woman are not seen as a human being. You're 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 not even nothing. You're actually less than nothing. And that's why Rachel could come in and, and, and inhabit your bodies and brothers will, you know, run interference. Because she as a white woman exists and is human. You as a black woman and a non nothing, a less than nothing, have no moral have no moral leg to stand on to question the humanity of a human being. You don't have that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, Junior, I envy you because they don't even they don't even hop in my inbox. They hop right on my fucking post. So. Mm. Like, <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> like, y'all niggas just... I don't know why. Like, why do niggas try me? <laughs> it's just so silly. Like, I'm, I'm the nicest dude. I'm like, hey, look, you don't want to do this. I'm, I'm warning... Look, don't call women bras on my fucking post. Like, can we chill the fuck out? We can have a discussion, my nigga, but you... Can we... And then it, it goes to, yeah, then it goes to shit because they get all in their feelings. We, men, black men are privileged drunk. Yeah. Seriously. Seriously. Mm-hmm. And you think about when people, what's one thing people get when they're drunk? Sensitive as fuck. Mm. Like, they mm-hmm. get, I, you know, I set a fucking boundary on my posts. Like, that, hey, look, don't do this. Don't do that to women. Don't disrespect uh, the LGBT community. You then you become and you start acting like a bitch by your own definition, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's like what? How do you? How does this work mentally with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you can? How, how do both of those things exist in the same mind? Mm-hmm. Because like how? It's I I mean I get it because I used to get it, but I don't get it anymore. You're, you're describing really cognitive dissonance. You're describing cognitive <laughs> dissonance right now. And I, and yeah. speaking to the the privilege, um, I think particularly um like black males around like uh like Ricky Loco, like around our age group, like going into our 30s, we definitely we spent our preteen and our teen years in a bit of a different, not even a bit, a lot, a major, really different time than like uh black males before us, because like mm-hmm. we came up like in the 90s, and like and you and I like on the West Coast were like. 
it was actually kind of cool to be a black dude. It was just like, hey, black dude, mm-hmm. like you, your rap music, your Michael Jordan, your Bo Jackson knows baseball and football. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're a cool guy. You know, you're Martin Lawrence, you're Bone Thugs and Harmony. Like you have all this really cool pop culture representation while, um, Black women are still being crapped on, like, and then speaking to uh to the hip hop again, like, there's like a three step progression that you see. Um, it's kind of um, oh, you notice like uh, so you come out, black women, salt and pepper. Let's talk about sex. All right, black women still not taken serious. All right, Queen Latifah. All right, I'm gonna call myself Queen and and really talk some shit. You know, U N I T Y. Damn, still not listening. Well, here comes the Lady of Rage. All right now, I have rage and I have mm. fire behind me in my music video, and I rock rough and stuff with my Afro puffs. Are you listening yet? Now I have a standing ovation at your award show where you got booed. Are you listening yet? And they're still not listening. I like that little uh, pre- mm-hmm. pre- three-step progression. Then, like my partner, um, and you're talking about a uh, drunk with privilege. Um, my partner, uh, 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 Feeny Loco. In the social networks, um, you know, a bunch of white women got mad and got her banned. And she came back and she made another profile. And with this profile, she said it to mail and she um, and she uses my pictures for her profile mm-hmm. pictures. Yep. And suddenly look at all the black men that pay attention and listen now because they think she's mm-hmm. another black male. Completely mm-hmm. and utterly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah it got, it's, it's but it even got up. bad there. It even got bad with her, where she she had the tag like she's tagging me like, "Yo, come get people," mm-hmm. like that should mm-hmm. never fucking happen. Like, a, as a black male, no one should ever have to like come get one of your homeboys. Like, yo, he's drunk, he's privileged drunk, yeah, he's filling in all the women and he's he's invading people's spaces. This nigga's got to go. Like, mm-hmm. I can't even rest because you acting a fucking fool. I'm tired of this shit, just like women are. This don't benefit anybody. It really don't. Mm. Yeah. And there's something I call trophyism, which I, I see. Because, like, like, right now while we're having this conversation, people add me to groups without asking me first. And sometimes I just stick around and look at the group to see what they're doing. And some of these black groups, like, we're having this conversation here right now. Uh, in one of those black groups, they're having a conversation about um, why you shouldn't date a black woman with tattoos and it's this that trophyism where it's just like like uh, the best that you can be is worthy of being on the arm and these are all the things that will disqualify you and make you even less human than the white supremacist social construct already made you yeah Mm. Yeah, it's 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 something to study it really it really we're so sorry No, but this is Leslie, first of all. This, this so sorry. I'm I, I'm really happy that we had that conversation here because it really helped me kind mm. of understand a little bit more. Because to be perfectly honest, like it's hard not to take this shit personally. Like it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult not to take it personally when it's people you know personally, and mm-hmm. it was something that I was trying to kind of just like shake off, but it wouldn't come off me. It was like, it just wouldn't, the feeling was still there. And I, I couldn't wrap my head around it because I couldn't understand somebody who I know on a regular basis tells white people, Hey, when you go into black spaces, you know, listen, when black people tell you that they're feeling a certain way, listen to them and believe them. But yet they can't apply that same thing to me. 
mm-hmm. and to other women who are telling them this is a problem. I have a problem with this. This is making me feel bad. I feel pain in this. Do you not see me in pain right here? And you really hit you. I don't know. Something, something in this conversation really just kind of like put me back into uh, an understanding that it actually isn't about me at all, actually. And, um, that has helped. First of all, I don't know how y'all going to wake these dudes up, but I wish you all the best with it. And I hope I'm praying that you're successful because God knows we need every fucking person we can to get ourselves free. Uh, we can't we can't afford to leave a goddamn stone unturned because everything is working against us. We have so many things that we already have to, you know, work against. And I made a rule for myself like three years ago that I was never going to argue with somebody about my humanity. It's not something I do ever yeah. in my life period i don't do it if if that's mm-hmm. where our conversation is going our conversation is over if that's where our relationship is going our relationship is over and so i hope that um how can how can how can you men like the three of you create spaces for these idiots sorry to, for lack of a better term i'm not, that's the only thing i can come up with at this point to even enter into these conversations with you because I feel like they will explain away why you feel the way you do. Oh, some, Mm -hmm. some bitch got his head all fucked up. Oh, you know, he's just whatever, whatever. Cause I've heard all of these things too this past week Mm -hmm. or whatever. Why some black men are not feeling the way they are, that it's okay to say this. And then arguing stuff like, you know, like not admitting the fact that when you say the phrase, Oh, um, this is what you should be concerned about. That that's not a dismissive way of speaking about somebody's feelings. You know, yeah. don't don't treat me yeah. like I'm fucking stupid. I see what you're doing. I hear what you're doing. And don't try and come in my face and tell me that you're not. Because it's not going to work. And so mm-hmm. I don't know where where you're going to find a, a a wedge in with, with these types of dudes. I don't know where it exists. Get that shit in the bud early. Like, if, because it, this is the thing. And these dudes are fathers, yeah. man. They raising dudes. They raising yeah. boys and girls, yep. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, you just have to see, you have to set the tone fucking early. Like, I'm not going to put up with this shit. If they're, if they're even remotely willing to change in the moment, then they'll be open to change. You know, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll respect your space. They'll, they'll listen and they'll be productive about a, a discussion. Mm-hmm. If you're not ready for that, don't fuck with me. Like, period. Because it's not, it, it's not that simple. You're not going to sit up there and disrespect human beings for no other reason than just being who they are. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. The, 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 they need to be ostracized from fucking polite society. They need to go sit at the children's table, the little boys' table, and the little girls' table, and they, they enjoy themselves there. And the grown-ups have a fucking discussion. Mm-hmm. And when everything's ready, guess what? You guys can come help. Come on, you know, you put put this here, put that there. You do this, but other you don't get to make decisions. If you can't, if you can't not, or if you cannot have or understand the concept of intersectionality, you don't need to be a part of this movement. You can follow directions, though. I mean, mm-hmm. do what you can and help support. That don't mean you need to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's very unfortunate, and it's very unfortunate because, um, you know, we uh, for a lot of us who've been doing this work for a long time, it's it's almost historical. 
that every single time that there's any type of talk of black liberation, it's always this conversation of the focus needs to be solely on, you know, cisgender, heterosexual black men. Mm-hmm. Black women have to be in the back. Gay people don't even have the right to even say a word. And, you know, yes. trans people are just... Don't even exist. Not even... Don't even exist. Yeah. So what you're trying to do is is that you're trying to co-opt the conversation to be exclusively about you, your needs, your wants. And I'm not and I'm not saying any of this to say that black men have no right to, you know, being liberated. Because the thing is is that what I try to explain to these 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 clowns, because that's all I can say. You know, a lot of these dudes are just straight up clowns. You cannot be an oppressed person oppressing other oppressed people. Like I've said this time in mm-hmm. and time out every single time. And it's like their rhetoric, it's so tiring. You know, it's so predictable. They're sounding like racist. And I told people, like, you're sounding like the cop apologist. You're sounding mm-hmm. like you're, you know, I'm not racist. I have black friends <laughs> type of people, mm-hmm. you know, and it comes and it's constant, constant, constant wailing on other people. So my thing is, and, and I will agree that intersectionality is going to be really one of the true ways for all of us to be liberated. But, mm-hmm. you know, they want to go on ahead and they just want to dismiss it as a black feminist thing and that, you know, gay people want to just co-opt the conversation and talk about their gayness and women want to talk about feminist issues and trans people want to take over the conversation. Who sold you this lie? Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. sold you mm-hmm. this lie that, yeah. you know, black people who are of different intersections are trying to take over? I can't speak mm-hmm. for other, you know, I can't speak for, for white people who are in those marginalized groups. But I know that so many of my same gender loving, Afrocentric, pro black people, they're not talking about their gayness or their womanness or their trans, you know, identities, you know, but they're talking about it in terms of why they deserve humanity. Not solely because of their blackness, but just everything that they encompass, who they are. But mm-hmm. black men are not extending that same respect. And I just find it so funny that they just come back with the same old tired-ass diatribe of all these talking points from these YouTube scholars and these snake oil salesmen mm. and all of these, you know, these these tech <laughs> you know, these 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 people who are dangerous to what we're trying to do in trying to liberate our own people because yeah. they just. They don't know, and they don't realize that they're doing it. And those that should know, they still don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because all the all the blacks are men. All the blacks are men. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and what's so stupid men. is what's so stupid is logistically the shit doesn't even work. The numbers aren't there. Like black men, you gonna do this shit by yourself? If we th- think think about this for a second, yes, the the, the cis hetero black male has been. Hunted, for lack of a better word, for eh, on the better side of 300 years. And I'm being nice. So we understand that. Well, one, nigga, your numbers are low. Two, 
there is a wealth of black people who deserve the same fucking freedom and opportunity that you do. So you can either work with them, you can either help them, because when you talk about the numbers for, for black liberation, well, guess what? Guess who has the highest unemployment rates that, off, that, that throw off the numbers? Black people in the LGBTQ community. Guess who has issues with poverty? Black people in the LGBTQ community and women. Like we, you, you can't. We can't do this shit alone. And I don't want to do this shit alone. This is a lot. Of, I don't. This is a lot of fucking work. We don't. We can't do this alone. What the fuck are y'all thinking? Please, if if the math is there, show me. I dare you. Yeah. Yeah, and like speaking of like not doing it alone, like like while I'm here, you know, like doing this, a a gay um cisgender man and a queer woman just took care of my program for me. Like it it helps to have solidarity. Like we if we all gosh darned up work work together. Because, I mean in in the end, um I mean and Ricky you you've heard me riff on this before, like human beings i know that sounds very simple but it's like you want to get rid of uh like white supremacy crony capitalism this uh global nonsense and we want to get back to just wake up in the morning eat some broccoli eat some cauliflower plant some fruits and vegetables with your fellow human beings in your small communities large communities go down by the river do a little dance tell some stories around a campfire and go to sleep. But that means all human beings get to be involved in that. Not just men that are concerned with their penises and who they can breed with or yeah, it's, uh, that, that, that's that, that clown stuff. It annoys me. Or like uh, what, what, what we can do. Um, I use a uh, rhetorical skill. Um, I see a uh, uh, junior Birch all uses um, very, very slick humor. Very, <laughs> very smooth um like when yes. i see him i'm just yes. like man that guy that's a that is a skilled writer and like and it was over like a fortnight we're like i mean somewhere between 15 and 20 people were like how come you're not interacting with junior birchall and it's like you know what that's good i should interact with junior birchall but at the same time there was a lot of space to cover so like um oh mm-hmm. geez here goes a man making a sports analogy <laughs> you want good players spread across the field or court or whatever it is you're playing sports ball you know so like you know don't don't put all the good players in one spot you know you know put put ricky over here on the um what is it the point back quarter goalie man you know put him over there Mm. let that person be the the umpire pitching man over there yeah spread us spread us around and um and another thing like i'll use a I'll use hip hop and use hip hop and snark almost like as if I can be as a, as comedically skilled as Junior Birchall. Like one thing that I want to do that I was tinkering with earlier today, I want to get the straight out of Compton instrumental and like sort of parody um, Rachel, you know, like coming oh, straight God. out of Spokane, a crazy motherfucker named Rachel. And for some reason, my <laughs> sisters ain't grateful. I got Ooh. tight curls. I rock box braids. Maybe you'll appreciate me with a high top fade. Oh my God. Now, can ooh. I, can I do the, the, um, the vocals? I'm there for you. William. I'm just letting you know. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I just to want to be- have my moment. <laughs> straight you know, up. I just want to be, I just want to That would go, that would go platinum. That would go platinum. Straight up. That would, you I'm need to put it on iTunes. It will, it will yes. sell bananas. 
I think I one mean, of the no problem the editing. Huh? One of the things that I've, I've been, I've been really, because I'm in my 40s. Um, so, and also, um, I have a reputation, you know, from activist work from the early 90s, late 80s onwards, of being a really black, pro-black, black, black, black guy, mm. right? So, as as far as I guess so-called sh- conscious street cred. I, I have that and, and, and then some. So, for example, when I'm in uh, Caribbean environments, and again, my physical presentation is, is currency as well. I'm a, I'm a locksman, right? Bearded locksman. Um, and brothers are, you know, debating some, some facet of history. And I come in and I, I drop whatever I have. And you can see the room adjust. And you can see my alpha position. So this is it's 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 playing with patriarchy because I'm well aware that what just happened was a dick measuring contest, right? But it's in those spaces that I'm able to to upset the apple cart, as it were, and talk about things like uh, heteropatriarchy, and and bring in conversations about transgender identity and what that means for for African people, and to to introduce. Um, historical precedent for that being in existence um, many millennia ago on the continent, right? Um, so y- you have, I've, I've, I've literally watched brothers just have these, I don't know, glitz in, the, in their mainframe moments, you know, when the black cat walks across twice and they're like, well, what was that, deja vu? It's like they're, they're literally tripping and stumbling over themselves because the cognitive dissonance is fierce. Like, this brother looks like this, he can quote Diop and Malcolm X, you know, out the yin-yang, but then he slips into this stuff? Because it's it's in those gaps that um, a new understanding can be introduced. And also what I'm realizing is that a lot of, you know, a lot of 30-somethings and 20-somethings come to my house and just, you know, spend time in my space. And I'm realizing that, you know, these young brothers want to see another example of how to be. A black man. You can you can read about it and you know all of that, but what does it look like in practice? So you know they come over and they're like, "Wow!" Just to be able to hang out with a brother and his wife, and they actually like each other. So that gives added weight to what I say because they can judge me by what I do, and and they can come into my home and see what we do and how it how it is consonant with what I say publicly, what I say online. So I think, again, what, what a lot of young brothers are looking for is somebody of integrity, not Umar Johnson. Umar Johnson's, a, you know, he's, he's, he's a peddler of pigs and pigs, bones and crosses, right? But, you know, somebody who has, has a, a wealth of knowledge on the history and culture of African people um, and is also living in, in, in peace and harmony with his, with his partner. That's key because it's not so much what what is said, but it's 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 more what is done, and so it's important uh, for 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 cats my age and older to actually inhabit the words that they they speak into the ether. It's it's very important for young brothers to see that wait wait, wait I, I I can actually embrace without putting my arm across the chest, and you know yeah yeah you can actually do that, you know. So I've seen, for example, um, brothers you know early thirties. You know, I remember I, I traveled overseas and uh, I bumped into a, uh, one of my brothers who I hadn't seen for a minute. He was like, oh, Junior, man, I love you. You know, you just embracing. He's like, this is my girlfriend. And it was a big deal. You know, and I, you know, I was like, man, I love you, too. It's been a while, blah, blah, blah. And just the, the 
and just to see the giddiness in another black man's eyes, right? Um, and that's a beautiful thing because defenses are down because he knows that I, I love him, I care for him, and now we are developing new avenues for communication, brother to brother. That has to be practiced, that has to be seen. A space of, of safety has to be created so that when I interrogate their ass backward patriarchal belief systems, they know that it's not coming from a place of judgment. So I can begin doing the surgical intervention work on these guys because they look at me a certain way and they hold me in a certain level of esteem. And I have to exploit every last bit of that all the time. That's the very least I could do. That's the very least I could do. Right? So I think for, for me and I guess uh, junior eldership, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm just in my 40s. I'm nowhere near elder status yet. I think it's important to be seen to walk and talk the same language. Right. And our boys, mm-hmm. our, our young brothers have to see that they have to see that repeatedly over time. Because it's hard to become mm-hmm. something you've never seen. Mm hmm. Yeah, very much so. And I have to, and I have to co-sign with that. And just to jump off Junior's uh, commentary, uh, I mean, my, I mean, I'm definitely nowhere near as, you know, as popular as a lot of these activists are. You know, those like you know D. Ray and Junior and Preston and and Leslie and everybody else. You know, obviously. You know, the work I do, you know, I try to keep to myself. But what I say is what I say. You're mm-hmm. not going to see me say something else. And in person, when you see me in person, I'm, you know, this like raging, you know, black man hating, uh, <laughs> you know, homophobic, transphobic person. And, and this is what I try to at least, you know, impart with other black women uh, specifically, is that the reason why I am who I am is that I have to speak truth into power. And the work that I do outside of social media, it has to match to how people see me. And I have to really, really not just do as I say, but I have to do as I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't, I can't sit here and say I do all of these things and my life is, is, is a lie. You know, so that's why I try to tell other activists you have to watch, especially those that have a following, a large following, because anybody can be anything on social media, as we as we see with Rachel Dolezal. You know, she mm-hmm. made it seem like she was black. She made it seem she had a black daddy. She made it seem like her adopted black brothers or her sons. I mean, she was making it seem like she was just this professor, you know, this, this major professor and, and just this, activist extraordinaire when she's been nothing but a fraud, you know? And that's why it's so important for those who have that type of platform where they reach a lot of people, you have to say and mean it, you know, cause you can't, you can't share Umar status and try to say, well, um, well, he's not that bad. You know, his, his messages have a lot of truth. And when they try to say this, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bath water, mm. to me, I feel like that's a cop-out. Because, much. unfortunately, you know, when you share Tariq Nasheed and Umar Johnson and all these other, you know, hoteps that, that express commentary that are anti-black, anti-black woman, 
homophobia, transphobia, and everything under the sun, they're looking at you now with skeptical eyes. And what you're doing Mm -hmm. is you're undermining the very same work that you're trying to do. And not just in the activist community, but just in general. So it would be akin to, you know, the pastor in church who is speaking out against, um, you know, um, speaking against um, cheating and, and, and being unfaithful to their wives. But, when, but they're cheating and, and being unfaithful to their wives in the church. So you really have to watch what you say and how you say it because deep down, people are judging us and the eyes are on us. And we have to really, really be mindful of who we support, who we cape for, mm-hmm. who we defend, who we don't criticize, mm-hmm. who we, you know, everything else. So that's why I have to be very conscious of, of not just who I am. Because I've, I've been wrong. I am not above reproach by mm-hmm. any means. But I need to make sure and let people know that if you're going to be in my space, and I'm supposed to be this advocate, this quote-unquote, I hate to say teacher because I feel like I'm not teaching. I feel like I'm just getting the word out. But mm-hmm. some people look at me as a leader. Some people look at me as this activist extraordinaire. They, they want to look at me as all of these things, and I have to deliver. Mm-hmm. But I have to speak my truth. And I have to make sure that the Kirsten on social media is the same Kirsten in real life. And I've taken so much pride in, in who I am as a person. And, and I'm not solely just that, you know, I'm a, I'm a, just a hodgepodge of everything, you know, that's random and funny and silly and everything else. But I'm also still all of this. And you can see that offline. And that's why it's so important for black men. You know, if you want to have a loving, tender, healthy relationship, you have to advocate that. And you have to live that. You can't say you want black women to be this and then you're downing black women on the low, whether you're doing it online or doing it in your real life. Because now people are going to see you as a fraud. And there's too much information out there for people to not see that. Yep. And you know, and you might not like, I haven't had boots on the ground since I was um, 18 years old. But, you know, you get up and you go out in the world. Now, um, I, oh, I don't want to be inadvertently ableist. Like if you are like if you are privileged to be able to, you know, get up and and move around, like work a full time job like I do, you know, do it in the workplace and you'll get those those lovely little nuggets of success. And like uh, one of them, and I'm going to quote this young man verbatim because he doesn't use all the exact same language we do. But after interact with in, interacting with him for about eight, a little over 18 months, you know, you you see that little breakthrough. Now I'm an inventory asshole, right? So I'm around the corner. I've, I've got my little clipboard and I'm doing my little inventory and ready to put it into the computer and capitalism. And I hear the two young lads around the corner, and one of them that I haven't been interacting with he was about to start slut shaming a young woman they knew and the other guy stopped him and I quote him verbatim. He said, Hey man, girls got to deal with some pretty fucked up shit, bro. 
And it's like he's not saying all the things we say, but he <laughs> got it and, and yeah. he cut that off. So it's like mm-hmm. it, it, interact with your coworkers, interact with your classmates. You know, we could take this like it doesn't just uh, have to be with um with, with folks that we already know have have one foot in you know it just started out with with a stranger or those people who are you know somewhat strangers but you interact with them institutionally yeah it's it's okay to do that you could bring this stuff up in the workplace i mean people are gonna talk about race religion sex and politics in the workplace anyway so use it to be progressive Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah take every single opportunity that is uh, that is in front of you to to enlarge the discussion deepen the discussion that's that's our responsibility wherever wherever we are we should be doing this work that's the very least we can do that's the very least we can do again to honor the ancestors who 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 came before us and who went through a hell of a lot more challenges than than we currently face or maybe you could you could argue that but um you know different shit um but we definitely have the ability to to touch um, a lot of different people and to creatively engage with them in ways that, that can open them up to hearing maybe possibly a, a way of thinking or, 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 or acting in the world that um, they hadn't uh, thought of before. And again, that's, that's, we're endlessly creative af- as African people. So it's, it's really, the sky, I believe, is, is the limit for what we can do with that. You know, I think that's a very important daily practice online as well as, as obviously in person. Awesome. Revolution needs to be made small and deep. Small Ooh, and deep. Small and deep. Wherever like you it. are. I like it. Uh, well, I think we are coming to the close of the show. First of all, thank you all so much again for being here. It was really just as robust as I hoped it would be. And uh, we got through all of the great topics and really got to get into the nitty gritty of things. And that's what Ricky and I like to do here on this show. Um, so if you could, uh, real quick, uh, we'll start with you, Junior. Just tell everyone where they can find you and, and anything else and where they can get in touch with you and all of that good stuff. I'm pretty basic. My wife is like, you need to do better. But <laughs> I'm just uh, on Facebook or um on Twitter, I, I don't understand Instagram, <laughs> but um, at Junior Birchall on uh, uh, Twitter and, uh, like I said, Junior Birchall on Facebook as well. Excellent. We'll have those links um, also in uh, the show notes. Um, mm. uh, Kirsten, how about you? Where can, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram as uh, Makeup by Kirsten H, K-I-R-S-T-E-N-H. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as uh, AR underscore goddess. Um, of course, you can email me at antiracistgoddess at gmail.com. And if you are fortunate enough to have mutual friends with me because my privacy, the way my privacy is set up, um, it's actually my name backwards. Uh, Netflix Rawl. <laughs> so if, you can, if you're able to, to spell Kirsten correctly, just do it backwards. <laughs> Excellent. Mr. Jackson. Uh, well, right now, since you are listening to uh, talking to the listeners, if you are if you're, you're listening to a podcast right now, you can just go right in the same podcast application that you're listening right now and just look up Father Teresa's Wine Cellar 
and subscribe and you'll hear myself and my partner doing news, comment, and topics. Uh, we stepped it up and we are finally posting regularly on our blog page, uh, socialdissonance.wordpress.com. And right there on that page, you can see the Facebook linked link to the page, uh, Social Dissonance, a critical analysis of justice on the old Facebooks there. And for the news updates, uh, you can go to the, um, the at the Father Teresa on the Twitter. Now, right, and if you want to just get directly at me, um, if you go on the Facebook, you can go to facebook.com slash wine cellar podcast or just look up William J. Jackson. I'll be right there with a black tank top and a black bandana. And uh, you friend me, I'll friend you back. We have a disagreement. We can hash it out like adults. I will not block you. Bam. You can find Ricky occasionally on Twitter at A-U-A-D-O-T org. He hates Twitter. But you can definitely find him on Facebook. Um, just search Americans United. Again, you can also find uh, the rest of the uh, Americans United Again information at americansunitedagain.org. And right now you can get the Americans United Again app on the Google Play Store or on your Android device. And this show is also on that app. So you can check that out. That it is. Yes, it is. And you can also, uh, as I said at the top of the show, find this show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Just search Ferguson Response. You can also find us on our website, fergusonresponse.org. And if you're looking for actions in your area or you would like to list an action you have coming up, go to fergusonresponse.tumblr.com. I'll leave a last reminder that there is that call for um, call to action for this Sunday, the 21st of June uh, at 6 p.m. in solidarity with Charleston. Um, Ricky, last thoughts? Um, this went so much better than I thought it would be. And I thought it went well. I thought it was going to go well anyway. Um, but you know, I'm glad I didn't have to like cuss at men too much. <laughs> I did it a lot. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's all, cause we, we, we're sorry. That's all I can say. Like that should be the title of this fucking episode. Black women. We're sorry. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I'm going to call the episode, the auction block stare. Because mm. mm. that, yeah. really, that really, that really, that yeah. really helped me really solidify. Like I got it when you said that. I was like, oh, I mm. understand now. I get it. I get it now. Mm-hmm. A it has nothing to do with me, and B, like I understand where it is because supremacy is a hell of a drug, and patriarchy is even worse. So yeah. And we got to give we got to give credit where credit was is due. We, um, the sons are very much like our white daddies, mm. you know, like father, like son, seeing as Father's Day is coming up on uh, Sunday. I think yeah. that would be quite apropos to give any white supremacist white man in your immediate vicinity, especially if you're a hardcore black male patriarchal misogynist, um, give him a, uh, a rose. <laughs> you know, I think one should honor one's father. I like that. That's good. I will right, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. Okay, sis. Thanks. Thank you.